Welcome to Sulphur Springs Baptist Church Sermon Audio. For more information, please visit our website at sulphurspringsbc.com. What great songs to sing this morning, uh, but uh, such an even greater message that He's not there, that He's risen, and uh, that is, that's the hope of our, or the anchor of our hope this morning, that He's no longer there. And I'm grateful that we don't serve a dead Savior, but we serve a risen Lord today, and uh, thankful for that this morning. And uh, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you, if you will, to turn with me back to John 17, and as you do, I was, uh, in these verses, is not the record of the resurrection, is not the record of Jesus's, uh, the days after his resurrection, his time with the disciples, um, but nonetheless, I'm confident this morning that you'll see uh, glimpses, if you will, of the resurrection coming. And these, the context in which John 17 is, is found is just days before his death, burial, and resurrection. And uh, Jesus knows that that event, that occur, the occurrence of his death, is drawing near. And as we've been studying on Sunday mornings on prayer, that's what Jesus is doing here in these verses. The entire chapter of John 17 is the prayer, or is a prayer of, of Jesus, what is often referred to as the high priestly prayer. And I uh, want us to look here and continue in this chapter this morning. So if you will, as you have found your place, I'll ask you to stand with me this morning as we read the word of the Lord. We'll read verses 6 through verses or verse number 19. The Bible says this. Again, this is Jesus speaking, speaking to his Father, praying. And he says, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believe that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world. There you see his death, burial, and resurrection. But these are in the world, and I come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, but the script, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, to, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take us them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Lord, we want to come before you today and God, focus upon your resurrection, Lord. Focus upon the hope that that gives us. 
God, I'm thankful that because you are life and you have life, you gave me life one day. And Lord, everybody in here that can testify of your saving grace in their life, Lord, a day where they put their faith in you can say the same. God, thank you for giving us life. And Lord, for the soul that's here today that is still yet dead in their trespasses and sins, Lord, I pray for them this morning that they would realize that just as well as Christ got up after three days of being dead, Lord, they too can be given life again, Lord, through your power. And uh, Lord, we're thankful for that today, thankful to know that, Lord, you're not in a tomb. And God, that is our hope today. Lord, I pray that during this time, Lord, as we study your word, you'd help your word to be real to us. God, let the Spirit of God work amongst us now. Lord, do in hearts and lives what I can never do. God, help me this morning to stand as a man who would uh, accurately represent you, Father. I believe as I stand here, I stand to speak on your behalf. God, I believe that's the nature of preaching. Lord, help me to never, ever speak lies in your name. Help me to never, ever say anything that you have not said. God, help me to handle your word with integrity and with accuracy, Lord, so that what I say is truly what thus saith the Lord, that what I say is truth as your word is so beautifully declared as in our scripture this morning. God, your word is truth. And that's why we open it this morning. That's why we give time to it. That's why we seek to live our lives in conformity to it. And God, help us to do that more and more as the day of the Lord approaches. God, we love you today. We thank you for first loving us. And in Christ's precious name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing this morning. As mentioned and kind of introduced in the text, as we find ourselves and open our Bibles here to John 17 this morning, uh, Jesus' hour has now come. Last week we mentioned that Jesus, as his prayer opens, he says, Father, the hour is come. All throughout the Gospel of John, many times the text would read, if you read earlier in the Gospel, it would say his hour has not yet come. Meaning his death, his burial, his resurrection, it was not time for that up in, in all those other instances. But now as Jesus begins this prayer in John 17, we realize that his hour has surely come. That that moment God's ordained plan and uh, path for Jesus' life to be the sacrifice for our sins, that time had now come. And that is where we find Jesus here in these verses of Scripture. And knowing this, knowing uh, the weight that's upon Jesus, knowing what lies ahead of him, what does Jesus do? Well, as the Scripture opens up in the beginning of the chapter, Jesus lifts his eyes up to heaven, almost as if to make eye contact with his precious Heavenly Father, and Jesus begins to pray. In an expression of his humanity, he exhibits total dependence on the Father by praying that he would glorify him. That's the essence of Jesus' request. We said in John 17, Jesus will pray first of all for himself. He prays that the Father would glorify him to the glory he had before he came to the world. And now Jesus, in verses 6 through 19, will begin to pray for those disciples in which he will leave behind and be sure of this though that Jesus as Jesus prays in verse number five says glorify thou mean thou me with thine own self with the glory which I had with thee before the world was be sure of this that God has answered that prayer God has glorified his son God has shown us the splendor 
of his son. You go out here to this graveyard out just outside of these windows and every single physical body that's ever been laid out there is still laying there. Maybe decomposition has taken place, but those bodies are still laying out there. But the, the grave of our Lord Jesus Christ is empty and it will forever be empty. He is no longer there. Now, Charles Spurgeon, I read one time and it stuck with me. He said, you check and I can't give it to you verbatim, but if you check every tombstone, every other tombstone that's ever been erected in history, it'll have two dates on it. The one in which the person was born, the dash, and then the day in which that person died. But if you check Jesus' tombstone, if you check the stone that was rolled away, it'll say, He is not here. He is risen. And thank God that's the truth today, that Jesus has been glorified. God has shown you and I that He is not just another person. He's not just another human being like you and I, but He is the precious and anointed Son of God sent to be our Savior and our Redeemer. God has answered the prayer of Jesus found in the first five verses of John 17. But what Jesus now moves to in his prayer, moves towards in his prayer, is Jesus saw a great time of need ahead for his disciples. So he prays for them. So I would tell you this morning, if you are worried about people, people that are special to you, people that mean a lot to you, people that are precious to you, then follow Jesus' example and pray for them. No doubt Jesus loved his disciples. As James mentioned in his message this morning for us at the conclusion of our sunrise service, these are people who dedicated their life to Jesus. Now they had their faults and they'd have their failures even in the moment of his crucifixion. Even when pressure would crank up and they would begin to falter and scatter. These were obviously men that Jesus loved. These were men that Jesus spent special time with. And what does Jesus do in these moments as his life will be coming to a close soon? He prays for them. So I'd urge you this morning to, and say rely on God to meet needs in people's lives. We do so by praying for them. We often use this phrase, I'll pray for you. A lot of times I'm afraid that's just Christian lingo, if you will. We say that to kind of carry the conversation along. But praying for people is something that our Lord certainly embodies as we see him doing here in these verses. He saw a great need, a great time of testing ahead for his disciples. So what does he do? He, he prays for them. Jesus teaches us that one use of prayer is to present other needy people into his care. You look around you and see people going through a storm, going through a time of testing, a time of trial. Follow after Jesus' example and, and pray for them. But in this prayer we see what Jesus... What does Jesus want for his disciples? What Jesus knows he's leaving. And his disciples are going to be left here alone. Of course, the Holy Ghost, the Comforter would be coming. But Jesus knows his physical presence is not going to be here with them. So what is it that Jesus wants for his disciples? What is it that he desires for them? For those left to carry out their lives here, Jesus is going back to be with the Father. But those disciples are staying here to carry out their life. And that's where we find ourselves. We're here. Still here, carrying out our lives. So what is it that Jesus would have for us? What is it that Jesus desires for us? I think you could maybe say it like this. What is it that Jesus knows that his followers need to be successful in the world now that he's no longer going to be physically dwelling among us? Well, in verses 6 through 8, you see that Jesus commends the disciples for their belief in him as being sent from God. He says, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. 
Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. The reason this morning that Jesus deserves your attention is because he manifests the name of the Father. The word manifest means to reveal or to make clear, to make known, to illuminate or to make plain. What Jesus does for us is he makes plain, he illuminates, he makes clear who God the Father is to us. The book of Hebrews opens by describing Jesus as the express image of God's person. And John 1.18 says that no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. And that word declare means to lead out, to narrate, to unfold or explain. The reason we follow Jesus, the reason we look to Jesus as our example and our instructor is in all things is because He manifests the name of God unto us. If you want to know what God is like, look at His Son. If you want to know what God says is right and what God says is wrong in the nature of God, look at Christ because Christ manifests who the Father is. He says, I have, I have done that for these men that you gave me, these disciples. He says, Thine, they were yours, and then you gave them to me. Again, we see God... Uh, the believers, the disciples are pictured as a gift from God. God had chosen these men and now they are pictured as a gift from the Father to the Son. Jesus says or in verse number 6, there's a tremendous commendation given to this group of men. At the end of the verse, in verse number 6, it says, They have kept thy word. There's a lot of things that Jesus could say about the disciples, but nothing more, I don't think, should be our desire that could be said of us than what Jesus is able to say about this group of disciples. Again, let it be certain that these men were not faithful when Jesus is going to has told them that when he, is, when he is taken and arrested, they, like sheep, would scatter. They're going to forsake and they're going to flee. They're not going to be perfect. They're not going to be... 100% totally faithful at this point. But Jesus is still able to say of these men that they kept your word. The word kept means to guard or to observe or watch over or maintain. And so Jesus says in, in the same idea as that in verse number 7, They have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. This group of disciples, these men took the word of Jesus as the word of God, and as verse number 8 says, they are going to believe, or they do believe, that you, God, sent me. Now, the complete opposite of this is what, how the world treated Jesus. We looked this morning uh, at the resurrection of Mark chapter number 15 where men mocked Jesus. Jesus was put on trial because they felt he was blaspheming. When he claimed to be the Christ, that's when the high priest said that's all we need to hear from him. He claims to be the Messiah and it's blasphemy. That's not who he is. But this group of men, these disciples, they took the word of Jesus where Jesus said, I am the Christ and I have been sent from God and I am the bread of life and, and that I am the way, the truth, and the life. When Jesus said all that, this group of men took that and they held on to it and they clung to that truth and they trusted Jesus for who he said that he is. Completely opposite of how most of the world responded to Jesus, but these men, they kept, kept the word of Jesus. Jesus says, I gave them the words that you gave me, which is why you and I must embrace and hold to and put our confidence in the 
teachings of Jesus is because we are certain that His teachings came from God. And that's what this group of men did. They received them. And they have known surely that I came from you. These men have taken what I have given them. And they have believed me and they have trusted in me. The word send that Jesus uses at the conclusion of verse number 8 means to commission or to send on a defined mission. Jesus was sent in this world by God on a mission. He had a plan, he had a task that he was to fulfill. And this group of men, these disciples, believed in Jesus as the Messiah, that one that was sent from God. They trusted him as the one worthy of their confidence for deliverance. And you and I this morning, we must live in this world with the same conviction that Jesus is the one sent from God, that everything he tells us is eternally true, And just like these disciples received his doctrine, they believed that God had sent him, that this was not a man guilty of blasphemy. This was not a man saying, I have been sent from God, and he was just another human being. But this man was truly sent from God to be the Savior of the world. As I mentioned, the world may seek to make you and I doubt this fact and may try to make us feel silly for putting our confidence in him, but the world didn't treat the disciples much different especially as the early church would unfold and Jesus has ascended back to heaven. These men are not going to be treated with great respect and a lot of love and a lot of adoration, but they had their confidence that this man is my Redeemer and this man is my Savior. And what he tells me is God's message and God's word for me. And they never let go of that. They never uh, cowered it away from that. These men had confidence in Jesus. And you and I might live 2,000 years away from this But you and I must live with the same confidence that he's been sent from God, that his words are God's words. And then we can trust him. So while we live in this world, we need to be like the disciples and be certain that Jesus is sent from God, that he is the one that we must look to for our hope. Jesus says that in his prayer. But then he says very plainly in verse number 9, I pray for them. Again, Jesus knows he's leaving Knows they're going to be left here to minister, and so Jesus prays for them. The word pray means to ask or request. So Jesus is going to present a request to the Father for these, these men. He says, I'm not praying for the world. Those men that have rejected me, those men who have denied me, those men who have said I am guilty of blasphemy, those, I'm not praying for them at this moment. I'm praying for my, my group of disciples. I'm praying for those who have received me, those who put their faith in me. He says, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine. And Jesus is able to say, I am glorified in them. In verse 10, we see the oneness between the Father and His Son. That while God had given the disciples these men as a gift to His Son, Jesus says, they're mine, and Lord, what's mine is yours. This unity and this harmony among God and His Son. Of course, there's no competition. There's no division between God and His Son. There's also something powerful to be said that Jesus could say about these men, I'm glorified in them. We looked at that word glorified last week and even mentioned it this morning already, but that word means to render or esteem glorious, to ascribe weight by recognizing real value, specifically 
In relation to God, it, can, it means valuing God for who He really is or to cause the dignity and worth of some person or thing to be viewable. All the individuals that denied Christ, all the individuals who looked at Him as just a nice figure, all those individuals who looked at Him as somebody who could at least help them out of their mess but never nothing more, all the people, of course, that accused Jesus of blasphemy, Christ was not glorified in them. But in this group of men, these disciples who said, He is our Redeemer, He is my Savior, who ultimately they would die for, yeah, they're still growing in grace, and we get to see that throughout the Scriptures, but ultimately these men would die for their Lord. And so therefore Jesus is able to say, I am glorified in them. These men endured the ridicule, whatever shame may have come along with following Jesus. And they lived, these men lived to help others see the beauty, splendor, and immeasurable value of Jesus. The question for us this morning is how well do we do that? How well do we help others to see His splendor? Can Jesus say that, we, that He is glorified in us? If we live by embracing His doctrine, if we live by uh, pledging our allegiance to Him, then Christ is glorified in us. But if we live with the world and like the world, then Christ is not glorified in you and I. And so then Jesus says in verse number 11, And now I'm no more in the world. But these, these, my followers, they're, they're going to be in the world. And so I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. So Jesus' prayer for these men is that God would keep them. So what is, what is it that Jesus' concern is, is God's protection? The word keep means, again, to guard, to observe, to watch over. When I read that, I thought of 1 Peter chapter number 1, which says and tells us that we are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. I can't think of anything better to be kept or watched by other than the power of God. And so Jesus, if you can put this into a picture, takes his disciples and lifts them up to the Father and says, God, keep them, watch over them, protect them, maintain them. But he's praying specifically that they may be one as we are tells you and I something about the seriousness of unity among us as God's people, that the essence of Jesus' prayer as He's leaving is that God would keep us and protect us so that we would be one, that we would be in unison, that we would not be in parts as God's people, but that we would be one. Our relationship with one another should reflect the relationship between God and His Son. Jesus said, I... Uh, earlier in these verses, all mine are thine, thine are mine. Again, the unity, the harmony between God and His Son. And you and I, as God's people, our relationship should reflect that, that we might be one. So Jesus says, while I was with them in the world, I kept them. Jesus says, I kept them while I was here. I watched over them like a shepherd would watch over his sheep. I protected them. And those that you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Judas wasn't lost because 
Christ was a, a bad shepherd because Christ was a bad protector. Judas was not one of those given to him. Judas was the son of perdition, the son of destruction. And even that was in fulfillment of prophecy. And Jesus continues in his prayer and says, Lord, now I'm come to you. And these things I speak in the world that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. What Jesus tells you and I is for the fulfillment of our joy. If you want to know what real joy is like in this life, then look to the words of Jesus. Real joy comes from Him. And Jesus says, I have given them my word so that my joy can be fulfilled in them. And I have given them, my disciples, your word. And the world hath hated them because they're not of the world, even as I'm not of the world. So Jesus says, Father, I'm not praying that you would take them out. Lord, I, I'm not praying that as I go up, they would come up with me. Lord, that's, that's not my prayer. But as they're here, Lord, will you keep them from the evil? In that, you and I are reminded that we're left here for a purpose. And we're left here for a reason. The disciples, it was not time for them to go home. It was not time for them to go out of the world. They had to stay. They had a work to do. They had a mission to do. As Jesus would say in verse number 18, God, as you have sent me into the world, now I'm sending them out into the world. And God, Jesus says, Lord, as they go, would you keep them from the evil? Protection from God. What do you and I need in this, in this world to be successful as we seek to to live here, to carry out our lives in submission to God's wills, we need His protection to guard us from the evil. There's evil all around us. Things to overtake our life, things to get us off the path, seduction. As we looked in Proverbs last Sunday night, things to seduce us, things to take us off the path in which we should walk evil. So Jesus Himself prayed for our protection. And said that they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And so Jesus is going to pray in verse number 17 for our sanctification. It's a concern of Jesus for you and I as we carry out and continue our lives in this world. Something to ask yourself is according and based on verse number 16 is, are you of the world? The disciples' lives should not have blended in with the world because they're not of the world. Yes, we are here, as he said, I'm not praying that, I that they are taken out of the world. The Lord, they need to be left here. You and I are, are too engaged with our world, but you and I should not blend in with the behaviors of our world. You and I should not blend in with the ungodliness of our world because we're not of this world. So Jesus prays God sanctify them through thy truth. The word sanctify means to make holy or to set apart, to take things that are profane and dedicate or to separate the things from profane things and dedicate them to God. The Bible Knowledge Commentary defines it as set apart for special use. How is it that we're set apart? What is it that sanctifies us? He says, through thy truth. You and I are sanctified or set apart 
by God's truth. When you and I seek to live by God's truth, you and I are set apart from a world that don't seek to honor God's word, that don't seek to, to live according to his truth. That's how we're sanctified. That's how we are set apart. Jesus says, God, your word is, is truth. The word truth means what is true to fact and what is reality and the opposite the opposite of illusion. One thing that's so important to understand about God's truth is, is it's God's truth is the standard of truth against which, as one commentary said, against, against which everything else must be compared. Meaning we don't have anything else that we take the Bible to and see if it lines up with and then well, if the Bible doesn't line up with this, then that, in that area the Bible's wrong. As Christians, we don't believe that. As Christians, we believe you take everything else and you line it up with the Bible. And if it don't, where it don't line up with the Bible, then it's wrong. Because the Bible, the Word of God, is God's truth. It's the standard. Everything else, if it don't match up, then it's what's wrong. People might say the book is thousands of years old. It was written in, in, in many, many years ago. Some people look at it as a fairy tale book. But that's not what we believe. We believe that God's Word is truth. That it's what we stand upon, it's what we base our life upon. And we don't have to be ashamed to anchor our lives in it. Because God's word is truth. I don't have to apologize for believing it. I don't have to apologize for preaching it this morning. Because his word is truth. As the Moody Bible commentary explains, Scripture is not just truth in the fact that it aligns with another source of truth, but it says rather it is, it is the source of truth. Of truth. If you want to know truth, open your Bible and read it. So Jesus says, Lord, even as you have sent me into the world. Now think about this. Lord, as you have sent me into the world. Again, that word means sent with a mission. So Jesus says, Lord, in this you can see the great commission. God, as you have sent me on a mission, now I'm taking these men that you have given me and I'm sending them out into the world. You and I should live on a mission in this world. Disciples were not just left here to just get to uh, carry out a, a fruitful life and laugh along the way and share a few good meals. That's not why the disciples were primarily left here. They were left here on a mission to go and spread and share the gospel, to share the good news of Christ, to share the truth of God that had been brought to them through Jesus. They had a mission. And you and I should live in this world on a mission from God. We should live as if we have a work to do for God. Because according to His Word, we do. And so then Jesus concludes this aspect of His prayer and says, For their sakes, then I sanctify myself. What is Jesus referring to when He says, For their sakes, I sanctify, I set myself apart. He's talking about the cross. For their sakes, I'm going to go to the cross. For their sakes... I'm going to be set apart and, and dedicated to the mission that you have given me. I'm going to complete what you have given me to do for their sakes. For your sake, he did that. That they also might be sanctified through the truth. Are we surprised this morning that in Jesus' final moment, some of his final days before his betrayal and crucifixion, that he would have his disciples on his mind? I was, I was 
pondered that question, I thought of the song that says, While he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Well, we at least know just prior to the cross, we were on his mind. This prayer for his disciples is certainly specifically the ones there with him, the 11, not counting Judas. But then verse number 20, he very clearly and evidently brings all believers into this prayer. So while his, Jesus' well-being is about to be compromised, he's concerned with the well-being of his disciples. Who he also knows that when the pressure cranks up, they're going to betray him, they're going to forsake him. But yet, in this moment, he's praying for them. He sees they have a tremendous need and are going to need tremendous help, so he lifts them up. He wouldn't leave his people in this earth unprotected and unguarded. So he takes them and he lifts them up to the Father and prays for them. Prays for God to protect them. For God to sanctify them. Two things that we certainly still need in this world today. God's protection and God's sanctification. As we stand together this morning, as Mark would, and our musicians come around and prepare to, and you can even begin playing a song of invitation ask you this morning, are you mindful of anyone's needs? People around you going through things that maybe the need is weighing heavily upon your heart more so than other things. Maybe it's a need in your own life. Well, so this morning I'd ask you if you would follow in Jesus' example and pray for them. Jesus understood better what, about what lay ahead for these disciples than they did. So what does Jesus do? As he's talking to his father, as he has his eyes lifted to heaven, he prays for those men he cared so much about. Maybe you need to do the same this morning. Maybe you'd join in on Jesus' prayer for protection and sanctification. God, protect us, keep us from the evil. It's very possible that you see areas in your life where you need to be sanctified. Sanctification is where, of course, when we're saved, we're as good as in heaven. We've been raised to sit together with Christ in heavenly places. But our sanctification is how well we look like Christ between now and then. Our growth in Him. How much we're set apart. How distinct our life is from the world. How, how aligned our life is with the Bible and with Christ's likeness versus our sin nature. And Maybe in your life you realize you fell miserable. And your prayer might be this morning, God, sanctify me through your truth. For this morning, if you've denied Him, and you've not received Him as these disciples had, if he, even though they're not going to be perfect, Jesus Himself could say, Lord, they've kept Your Word. They have believed that, God, I have come from You, and the words I tell them are Your words. This morning, if you're lost and you've never done that, if Jesus can't say of you that you've kept his word, that you believed that he'd been sent from God, I urge you to put your confidence in that today. So how can I know? Well, look inside the empty grave. That's how you can know. That's like God's mighty amen to say, this is my son. That you can trust him. Never been saved. This Easter Sunday would be a great day to put your confidence and your faith in Christ. 
Mark comes around and leads us in a song. If you need to respond to the word of the Lord this morning, this is your opportunity to do that. Thank you for listening. Please remember to drop a rating and subscribe to get our latest audio.